0: Blessed are the poor in spirit. Give us this day our daily bread. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This week we survey the profound and encouraging teachings of Jesus when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Welcome to the Shalom Y'all Ministries podcast. I'm your co-host, Adam Kime, along with my great friend, Dr. Daniel McCabe. Daniel, what are you most excited for at this Christmas?
1: Adam, I do always enjoy this time of year. I love the carols and the desserts, of course, and opening our home for our annual extended family get-together. My wife enjoys the cooking and the decorating, and I always look forward to reading the Christmas story on Christmas morning. my family while sitting in my favorite living room chair and this year too we'll have one more member of the family as the boys have adopted a new puppy that they've named toro oh cool black labrador mix so that is a special addition to our uh, end of the year time so how are you my friend
0: excellent doing well being that it is Christmas time it is the most wonderful time of the year it's my favorite time of the year i love christmas pretty much everything about it so yeah i'm doing well i'm just excited for another year another time of year to celebrate of course the birth of our lord um yeah and just being able to spend time with friends and family and have them over and similar to the fall but christmas has its own unique Aromas of the season and flavors Mm -hmm. and all that. So yeah, we're doing well. Good. Well, we here at Shalom Y'all trust that a walk through the land deepens your walk with the Lord. And our mission is to teach and encourage those who love the Bible, the land of the Bible, and the people of the land. Have you ever dreamt about visiting the promised land? Well, the opportunity is yours if you would like to reach out to us for more information on how you or your group could travel with to Israel with Shalom Y'all someday. Now, as always, we begin with a couple of mini topics before getting to our main subject this week of the Sermon on the Mount. Daniel, what do you have to lead off for us today?
1: Well, you know, although I wasn't born in the U.S., as I know I've mentioned a time or two before, I got here as fast as I could. Mm. I love America. It's a beautiful country with an amazing legacy. But there are three other countries that I love as well. The first one is Belgium. That's the country of my birth. My parents served there as missionaries until I turned about two. And then they returned to their beloved Pennsylvania in 1964. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you do the math to figure out my age. (laughs) Now, how I got to Texas in 1966 and then to Alabama in 2021 are stories for another day. But I do always find myself rooting for Belgium in the Olympics or World Cup soccer. I haven't been back since the day I left, unless you count being on a layover in the Brussels airport, <laughs> but I'm ready to go. It's on my bucket list. Um, then the second country with which I have a deep connection is obviously the land of Israel. Have you heard about that country, Adam? Um, is You're going to have to... Tell me a little bit about it. (laughs) Well, I think folks have picked up uh, our love for that pretty obviously. Indeed. Uh, I didn't make my first trip to Israel until I was 36 years of age, and I think you were about the same. But it sure has captured our hearts, hasn't it?
0: Absolutely. Yep. I was 36 when I first went.
1: Okay, there you go. One more thing we have in common. Mm -hmm. Well, we just love the people and the land. Of Israel because it connects so beautifully to the words and stories of scripture and makes it come alive. But there is a third country that I don't talk about very much, yet it means a great deal to me. And I'll tell you the story. You know, while sitting in my world missions class as a young seminarian many years ago, our professor encouraged the class to adopt a prayer country, a country for which we would regularly pray from that day forward. So after class, I approached my professor and told him that I was interested in adopting a country for prayer, but they didn't really didn't know how to choose one. And without skipping a beat, he reached inside his lectern and he took the top card from a stack of cards he kept there for just that purpose. And with a big smile, he handed the top card to me. And I have been praying for the country of Jordan mm-hmm. ever yeah. since. Yeah. Well, in Timothy first Timothy two one, we read I exert I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. All men certainly must mean all countries. So I'd like to encourage you and our listeners to adopt and pray for a country as well. It's just been very meaningful for me through the years. You know, perhaps there's a country that comes quickly to mind that you can pray for, that you could adopt. Or perhaps you'd like to join with me in praying for Jordan. That would be great. But if not, here's what you can do. You can, first of all, try downloading the Operation World app on your phone or go to www.operationworld.org. You know, you can find today's date in their pull-down menu, and you can put in December 11th, you know, ironically December 11th lists the USA as its Mm -hmm. prayer prayer needs for for that particular day of the year. Or you can pick tomorrow's date, and the country that goes with that is Uruguay. I think they're in alphabetical order. Or you can find your birthday in the Operation World listing, which for you, Adam, I think, if I remembered correctly, would be April 22nd, right? That's right. And that coincides with the country of Taiwan. Mm. Or find some other special day you can find uh, your wedding anniversary or the day you got saved and just begin praying for the country associated with that date. The Operation World website and their app as well gives example items for what to pray. And that's a really big help. So Adam, do you have a prayer country? Have you ever thought about that before?
0: That's a good thought. There is a country that definitely shoots to the forefront of my mind, obviously, besides Israel and the United States. Um, It would be for me, Jamaica. Uh, uh, Jamaica holds a huge place in my heart. I went on a short-term missions trip to Jamaica back in 2004. That forever changed my life. God used that to convict me in many ways. And through that experience, drew me into um, a deeper walk with him, more engagement in my local church, call into ministry. I've been to Jamaica five times. Am oh I? Yeah. Four times. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Four for mission trips, you know, for specific tasks mm-hmm. and, and ministry. Once was for our honeymoon. And, um, you know, after being there for the first few times, I I thought I could never come here as a tourist. I know the real Jamaica and all that. But I, yeah, I went as a tourist one time too. And when you're staying at a resort, it's a different experience. Um, but we still, even on that trip, met up with the pastor that I know down there and he kind of took us around And so I love Jamaica. I love the people of Jamaica. I pray for it. Um, Yeah, so Jamaica would be mine. Love it. Well, for my mini topic, I would like to look at a familiar passage from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And of course, the Sermon on the Mount is so-called because Jesus taught a crowd of his disciples and others on a mountain somewhere, which was really a level place on a hill near Capernaum. And you'll find the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and in Luke 6. The location is most likely an area close to the Church of the Beatitudes. The last time I was there, a farmer that owns the land had a lot of banana plants all over the fields, so we could not just walk around in the area that Jesus probably delivered this great sermon. Anyway, let's consider the Lord's Prayer, as found in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Jesus told the crowd to pray like this or pray in this way. He did not require the exact words to be repeated, although that is fine, but I think that he gave a model of how our prayers should look. If you look at the content of the Lord's Prayer, he begins with praising God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I try to follow that example when I pray in public or in church settings. I start out by glorifying some attribute of God. Then Jesus asked for the kingdom to come and God's will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. You know, all believers should desire that. God's will is followed perfectly in heaven, and it should be on earth as well, ideally. And the believer's earthly hope is longing for life in the kingdom upon the Messiah's return. Well, Jesus then makes a few requests you know, it is, of course, very appropriate to give our requests to God. He wants us to come to him. So first, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. That has always meant a lot to me. I think the importance is that we need to ask God for what we need to get through each day. We don't necessarily ask for what we need for the next 40 years or so, but for that day. By doing that, we need to go to God the next day as well, and the next and the next, and that, of course, is a good thing. When we keep our focus on our need of God each and every day, in fact, whatever happens in our life to drive us to need God is a good thing, which often comes about by hardship. It gets our attention fixed on who it should be. So he finishes the model prayer with a request for God to forgive sins as we ideally forgive others, and for God to lead us from temptation and to deliver us from evil. Some versions will read the evil one using a substantival use of the adjective. Both are appropriate, you know, deliver us from evil circumstances and also deliver us from the evil one from Satan himself. And then after the prayer, some manuscripts add the phrase, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Although that line was probably not in the original text, it, it's very meaningful and it's a great line as well. So there we have the Lord's Prayer. Again, Jesus did not prescribe a meaningless repetition of the prayer, but he laid it out as a model of the sort of things that we should be in prayer about. Now, praying those exact words is good, though, if you truly mean it what you are saying in your prayer. Daniel, what is this week's trivia question?
1: Well, in honor of our new dog, Toro,
0: <laughs>
1: today I have a dog question for you All and right. our listeners. So uh, you have a dog, right, Adam?
0: I do. And we Any celebrate word? her. Well, we got her on Christmas Eve a couple of years ago. So yeah. that's another reason why Christmas is a special time for us.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. What's your dog's name?
0: So her name is Mocha of course kind of has to be some sort of coffee themed name. Right. But okay. when we first saw the coloring of her fur, I'm like, Oh, that kind of looks like the foam of a latte or a mocha. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then her middle name. Yeah. We give her dog a middle
1: name <laughs> is Noel because we got her on Christmas Eve. Okay. Well, you're going to like this question then. So here it is. According to ynetnews.com, What are the most popular dog names in Israel? Oh, man. Are they A, Bell and Johnny, B, Luna and Louie, C, Mocha and Lucky, D, Nala and Simba? So did you get those? Bell and Johnny, Luna and Louie, Mocha and Lucky, or Nala and Simba? Think that one over and we'll have the answer for you later in the podcast.
0: There are so many treasured things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that It might seem like he was jumping from one random thought to another, but it helps to keep in mind that he was teaching the people how to live in the kingdom of God that he was offering to the nation of Israel during his earthly ministry. John the Baptist came to prepare the people to receive their king, another thing we celebrate at Christmas time. Jesus began to proclaim the good news that the kingdom was at hand, thus the need for repentance. And then during this sermon, he needed to shape the people's hearts to live rightly in it. And that is the flow of Matthew's gospel in the first several chapters. So when Jesus sat down to teach, as rabbis would do, it was one of the several occasions that he had to speak against the ways of the Pharisees and the other religious elite leaders of that day. And the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 show the type of person that is blessed by God in contrast to the arrogant ways of the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, and so forth. And we could devote an entire episode just to the Beatitudes. Now when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and blessed are you when others revile you on my account, we can see a definite contrast between the downtrodden and those that often mistreated them such as the Pharisees, just as they had mistreated the prophets of old. I think that the verbal sparring heats up in chapter 5, as Jesus is probably challenging the people to, to basically stand either with the Pharisees and the rest of the religious order, or with him, with Jesus, the Messiah. Now when he said something like, you have heard it was said to those of old, such and such, But I tell you, such and such, I imagine him pointing right at the Pharisees in attendance, calling them out, especially when he says in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the law never taught to hate your enemies. That's something that the Pharisees would assume and teach themselves. So there's something very important to note when reading the Sermon on the Mount, as with any part of the Gospels. Jesus never contradicted the law of Moses. He was not in any way saying that the law was wrong and that he came to reinterpret or change the meaning, not in the least. He said clearly in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, "...do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the iota was the smallest Greek letter, and when he said not a dot, he means basically not a yod, the smallest Hebrew letter. Not any part or aspect of the law will pass away until it's all accomplished. So what Jesus did was reveal the spirit of the law, which should have always been observed and followed, and what the law had always meant. For example, when he said in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 5, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus was not claiming that the Mosaic law was wrong or fell short in some way. What he taught was that the law against committing adultery flowed out of God's aversion to lust in general. Lust itself was the problem, but the command to not commit adultery was to restrict the poor behavior that resulted from it. So think of the Mosaic law as the national constitution, if you will, of the people of Israel. They were regulations and statutes that governed society, much as the laws of the land do for for any part of the world. So again, Jesus was simply laying out the moral ethic that had always been behind each and every law. The law of Moses was the, the codified system of God's moral expectation for that people at that time. I like to give this example. That If God were to give his people the law today instead of 3,500 years ago, he might mention something that governs internet usage. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, of course, is way too big of a topic for just this podcast episode, but I hope what I've told you helps to guide how we read this wonderful set of the Lord's teaching, recorded in three whole chapters of Matthew's gospel account.
1: Well, I've done a great job there of summarizing this sermon, so I won't redo that. But let me instead do a little deeper dive into a couple of specific verses. I want to take a look at two fairly familiar verses from Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. So verse 21 begins with the line that you've probably heard before, and you kind of alluded to it earlier. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders Will be in danger of the judgment. So, according to World Population Review's website, the top three US cities with the most murders per capita through the third quarter of this year were nothing in Texas, um, but St. Louis, Baltimore, and closer to home there for me, uh, for me there for a while when I lived in Louisiana, is New Orleans. So, St. Louis, Baltimore, and New Orleans. Um. wow, it's hard to to fathom the numbers that I read there on the website about the number of murders. And then according to the Department of Justice, the average time served for a murder conviction in the U.S. is. You want to take a guess at that one, Adam?
0: Well, I'd have to admit I would be cheating if I took a guess because uh. I have the number in front of me that you oh. gave me. So, But I'll say it.
1: You saw it, huh?
0: 17 and a half years.
1: Okay, you read over my notes. Good for you. 17 and a (laughs) half years. You know, when I flip back in my Bible to Exodus 20, to the well-read chapter on the Ten Commandments, sure enough, right there in verse 13, given as the sixth commandment, we read, You shall not murder. And what was the ancient judgment or sentence for a murderer? Well, Exodus 21, 23 states it pretty clearly. It says, "Quote." you shall give life for life. Hmm. So the sentence was death. Now, it's the nature of most people, including those to whom Jesus was speaking in Matthew 5 to think, "Yeah, but I'm no murderer. I'm a I'm a good person." Well, let's return then to Matthew 5:22, where Jesus adds, "But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother Without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Okay, so wait. Jesus used the exact same phrase here in speaking about anger as he did when speaking about murder? Did he just say that the murderer and the angry man have both earned death? Mm. Well, Paul would later say it this way. In Romans 3.23, he writes, the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. And both murder and unjustified anger are sin. Now, this was all very, very different from what was being taught in the synagogues by the Pharisees and religious leaders. For them, sin was only outward. It was the action. But Jesus says that even... Inward, unjustified anger is sin. And then he says, quote, and whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. Now, when you first read through that, you're hmm, you're like, Well, what's rakah? Mm-hmm. Well, it's an insult. There's no doubt about that. Some Bibles will leave it untranslated, as does the New King James Version from which I was just reading but there have been various attempts at the translation of this world of this word rather the niv for example translates it good for nothing and the hcsb reads full the theological dictionary of the new testament suggests blockhead Mm -hmm. and and i've also even seen numbskull (laughs) so you know jesus warns that someone in fact might bring you before the council for speaking to them like that. And you might even have to face the council for your actions. Um, But that's about it. Now, the word council here is the word Sanhedrin in the original Greek of the New Testament. And some translations like the NIV and the HCSB do have Sanhedrin instead of council. In Jesus's day, civil matters were adjudicated by the Romans, but religious matters were handled by the Sanhedrin. It was a governing assembly that historically served as both a Senate and a Supreme Court, if you will, on behalf of the Jewish people. The word Sanhedrin actually means to sit together because 71 rabbis met daily in the temple to provide spiritual leadership for the Jewish people. So you could drag someone before the Sanhedrin for calling you a blockhead. And I suppose They'd reprimand that person in some way, but surely no one considered that insult worthy of death, right? Who would? Well, Jesus would, and that's the point. Sin must be judged, Mm. and the threshold for sin wasn't murder, it was unjustified anger or anything, any attitude even that displeases the lord so then finally jesus adds but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire well most of the major translations agree with the new king james version that i'm using which reads full uh, the hcsb is the outlier and it translates the word here as moron mm-hmm. <laughs> but they got it right <laughs> because the word is actually moros a Greek word that gives us moron. So in any event, you can just imagine, it's hard to imagine the reaction of Jesus' disciples to this teaching. Jesus says that if you call someone a moron, then you'll be in danger of hellfire. In other words, unjustifiable anger is no better than murder it. You know, at least when speaking of the spiritual consequences of the two, the Apostle Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death, meaning that sin, any sin, is deserving of eternal separation from God. But how relieved we are to read the second half of Romans 6.23 when it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If we believe that Christ died for us and rose again obviously to defeat our sin and our death then we don't have to die for our sin king david wrote in psalm 16 verse 2 a psalm i've been reading a lot lately and he said my goodness is nothing apart from you well how true we are far more sinful than we could ever know But tragically, sinners can't be rehabilitated. We must be transformed. We must be changed from the inside out. And thank God that this transformation is possible, but only through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, if you're struggling with a temper, as I did when I was a teenager, or you're holding a grudge, or you're perhaps percolating with revenge towards someone then you are in need of a forgiving savior as desperately as the man who plunged in the knife or pulled the trigger know, turn to the lord and you will receive the gift of eternal life and if you're a christian and you've allowed anger to creep back into your daily disposition then confess it and rebuild your relationship with the lord that's the way through it. And aren't you glad that even fools and morons like you and me can be forgiven? Well, it's time to revisit our trivia question. We'll go from a fairly heavy topic back to a fairly light one. But according to Ynetnews.com I asked earlier, what are the most popular dog names in Israel? Are they A. Bell and Johnny B. Luna and Louie C. Mocha and Lucky or D. Nala and Simba What do you think, Adam?
0: Hmm, We have to psychoanalyze this one again. (laughs) (laughs) I, I will from the outset tell you that even if I get this right, it is just a lucky guess. <laughs> so
1: I, keep,
0: well, I would imagine so. Even if I get it right, I can't count this one as me getting it right. Okay, so oh, like
1: how many dog owners do you know in Israel? Oh, I um, zero. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. I'm gonna process of elimination. This one. I'm gonna eliminate Mocha and Lucky just because did I just so happen to stumble upon the most popular dog name in Israel when I named my dog Mocha? I don't think so. I'm going to eliminate that one. I think you put that in there just because so I'm getting rid of that one. Um, oh, Luna and Louie. I was going to eliminate that one too, but the more I think about, it, I don't know. I could see Luna as, I don't know. I'll just, uh, Nala and Simba are from the lion King. Yes. Um, So you could have thrown that in just because it's from the Lion King, but it also could be right because it's from the Lion King. And uh, (laughs) the first one, Bella and Johnny. I'm messing with your
1: mind, aren't
0: I? You (laughs) are totally messing with me. My familiarity with scripture in the land of Israel is not helping me at all with this question. (laughs) When you mentioned dogs, I thought you were gonna mention how many times dogs are mentioned in scripture and they like Jezebel and all that. But no, you went even harder. I did. I'm just gonna guess Bella and Johnny and kick myself when I hear the right answer.
1: Okay, well, let's walk through them and eliminate them as well. Oh, no. Uh, But before I do, I need to tell you that what made this tougher perhaps for you is that these eight dog names, which I obviously shared in pairs, they are all very popular dog names (laughs) in Israel. So, yes, Mocha is a popular dog name in Israel. Now, Moken, lucky are not the right answer, so you were right to eliminate Mm -hmm. them. And Nala and Simba are also very popular dog names in Israel, but they are not right, too. So now we're left with Bell and Johnny or Luna and Louie. And you went the wrong way. Yeah, it's Luna and Louie.
0: I could see Luna for a girl dog name, but Louie... To be that yeah. popular of a boy dog name is, is that's yeah, interesting. Extremely,
1: yeah. Luna is extremely popular for girl dogs and Louie extremely popular for male dogs. Who knew? Hmm. Not me. Yeah. So, um, when we, when we picked Ernie and Toro for our dog names, I guess mm-hmm. we weren't in Israel mode, but you evidently were when you picked Mocha. There you go. Look at that. Yeah. Pretty fun. <laughs> Well, let me return just a moment to the topic of prayer country, excuse me, prayer countries from earlier. And personally, I'd love to hear from you, our listeners on this. Do you already have a prayer country or what prayer country have you decided to adopt perhaps after hearing our segment on it? Contact us at shalomyallministries at gmail.com, Shalom y'all ministries no spaces no apostrophe shalom y'all ministries at gmail.com and let us know that would make our day or just contact us to let us know you enjoy the podcast or perhaps you have a a topic that you'd like for us to take up well anything that you want to suggest we'd be happy to take a look at and and anything else that comes to mind yeah just send us a an email and we'll get back with you. But we do, uh, at least I in closing, want to say we wish you all a wonderful and worshipful holiday season.
0: Mm. And we hope that you've enjoyed this discussion about the Sermon on the Mount. We all get downhearted and discouraged, but we must always look to the Lord of love and grace. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will provide for you. Shalom, y'all. Shalom